The World Cup in Qatar has been surrounded by controversy, but it's far from the first time that sports and politics have collided. From Mussolini to Pablo Escobar, football and money are never too far away from each other. Let me explain. Let me explain with Sean Defoe, a News Talk original. Hello and welcome to the podcast. While you're here, don't forget to follow Let Me Explain on the News Talk app on Apple or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening to get the latest edition every Thursday. And if you like what you hear, please share it far and wide. This week, we're going to be taking a look at some of sport's biggest controversies and particularly the issue of sports washing. The World Cup has kicked off in Qatar, which you'd have to say is a questionable choice for hosting the tournament. The winner to organize the 222 FIFA World Cup is Qatar. And one of the funnier things about watching that announcement video back from 2010 is seeing all the shocked faces in the room. People who are genuinely like, what? The World Cup is going where? Not least that of former US President Bill Clinton, who was sitting in front of the Qataris as he was the head of the American bid to host the tournament. And he reportedly smashed a mirror in his hotel room in frustration at losing the bid. But he does manage to keep a bemused smile on his face in in public at least and Qatar has been controversial for a lot of reasons allegations of bribery around the winning bid its human rights record homosexuality being illegal in Qatar and the fact that FIFA elected to have a summer tournament in a country where it's too hot to have a football tournament in the summer hence the November start for this year's World Cup And it's a phenomenon that's known as sports washing, basically where countries try to use a big sporting event or tournament to cover up abuses or failings in their state and improve their reputation, I suppose, across the world. They hope all the fans coming in, they're going to have a good time and go back and tell great stories about Qatar and boost their tourism and, and their international reputation, basically. And the hope for Qatar is that the World Cup is so big It's going to cover up everything else. But so far, at least, pundits like Roy Keane is now have been calling it out. On the back of what Graham is saying there, the World Cup shouldn't be here. It shouldn't be here. It's been mentioned there with the people there about the corruption regarding FIFA. We've got a country the way they treat migrant workers, gay people. That's got to be, I think it's great that it's been brought up. They shouldn't have the World Cup here. You can't treat people like that. We all love football, we all love soccer, we're all about spreading the game. Just dismiss human rights, slipping in that because of a football tournament. It's not right. It shouldn't be here. But this is far from the first time that sport has been used by a regime to try and change its image. And let's go back to our first example, the second ever FIFA World Cup. The second edition of the FIFA World Cup was held in Italy in 1934 and the Italians under fascist leader Benito Mussolini beat out competition from Sweden. At the time and throughout, there were allegations that Mussolini had bribed and browbeaten countries into voting for Italy so that he could show off the the fascist product, essentially, to the world. Allegations swirled even during the tournament, with some saying that Mussolini was even picking the referees for some of these games. Italy and Spain drew one all in the quarterfinals in a brutal match, which saw a number of players leave badly injured, including one Italian midfielder with a broken leg. 
Italy won a replay that was played the very next day with Spain missing a number of their starters. They then went on to beat Austria 1-0 in the semi-finals. And strangely, and this gives sort of some credence to this idea that Mussolini may have been picking the referees, an Italian referee was given charge of the other semi-final, despite them having, you know, a clear self-interest in who would win that game. And in that game, Czechoslovakia went on to beat the favoured Germans 3-1. The final then saw Czechoslovakia leading Italy 1-0 with 10 minutes to go before an equaliser for the Italians and then a winning goal in the fifth minute of injury time. So ultimately, a win for Il Duce, a first World Cup for Italy, and all of that with this shadow of fascism in the background. Italy defended that title in 1938 in France, becoming the first back-to-back World Cup winners. But the tournament was marked by anti-fascist protests throughout, coming as it did just a year before the outbreak of the Second World War. And the most controversial moment probably came in the quarter-final. Il portiere italiano Olivieri si esibisce in una grande parata e fa sua la palla. Italy played France and a coin was flipped to decide who would get to wear their usual blue kit. France won the toss, but instead of playing in their traditional white alternate kit, the Italian players donned an all-black uniform. Some believe the instruction came directly from Mussolini to emulate his black shirt fascists. And the team gave the fascist salute before the game to quite a few boos, it must be said, but then quickly went on to thump France 3-1. And sandwiched between those two fascistic World Cups was Hitler's Olympics. Berlin sounds the curtain call for the greatest athletic show on earth. And the magnitude of Germany's display of pomp and pageantry would be fit at coronation of a king. But today, political destinies are forgotten as the flaming Olympic torch is borne aloft on its way to the stadium altar. The goal of its thousand Adolf Hitler getting the Olympics to Berlin in 1936 was a huge diplomatic coup. It survived several threats of boycott from a number of countries, including the US and the UK, and ultimately was broadly viewed as a success story for the Nazi propaganda machine, legitimising Hitler's regime both at home and abroad. And this wasn't a case where the world's attention was on Berlin and Adolf Hitler was sort of trying to hide what was going on. This was very much a celebration of Nazism, the swastika being branded everywhere the athletes went, Germany removing almost all Jewish athletes from being allowed to take part in sports, including one Margaret Lambert who was taken off the team for being Jewish. I would have been a loser either way. Because had I won, that would have been such a... An insult against the German psyche. How can a Jew be good enough to win the Olympics that I would have had to be afraid for my life, I'm sure. And had I lost, I would have been made as a, a joke. There were some hits back at the Nazi regime during the tournament, like black athlete Jesse Owens, for example. He won four gold medals in what was really a crucible of white supremacy at the time, but it did little to change many minds either in the German regime or elsewhere with the achievements of many black athletes being either played down or written off entirely. 
When sports, politics and money mix, it can have deadly consequences. And there's perhaps no better example of that than the 1994 World Cup and the tale of the two Escobars. There's a brilliant ESPN documentary on this if you want to watch it and get into that story in a bit more detail. But I'll give you the short version. Colombia headed to the World Cup in 1994 with huge hopes attached to the team. They had a really flamboyant style, these great players who were on a brilliant run and a real chance of going deep in the tournament. But in the 80s and 90s, football and drug money in Colombia were joined at the hip. Pablo Escobar, the billionaire cartel king, had used a team that he owned to launder quite a bit of money and he played the top players' big salaries to stay in the country and not go abroad. He even had some of the national team join him for kick-arounds in his self-built prison, La Cathedral. But Colombia's World Cup turned into a disaster. After losing their opening game, the pressure piled on against the USA and despite dominating proceedings, Colombia just couldn't score. And then came disaster. Defender Andreas Escobar, no relation to Pablo, was coming back to deal with the cross and ends up putting the ball into his own net. An own goal on the biggest stage. Escobar was one of the leaders on that team. His nickname was The Gentleman. He had just gotten engaged. And as this unfolded at the World Cup, the team started getting threats that they were going to be killed, that their families at home were going to be kidnapped. The coach was threatened into not playing certain players in the next game. And it all culminated in this sort of crucible of pressure and an early exit from the tournament for Colombia. Back home, the criticism was instant and it was really sharp. Andreas Escobar apologised in a newspaper column but said that, you know, it wasn't the end of the world and life must go on, as disappointed as he was. And despite being advised not to, he went socialising one night. At a nightclub, a number of people started mocking him for the own goal. He went to leave but pulled over in his car to try and talk with some of the men who'd followed him out of the nightclub. Andreas Escobar was shot six times and he was pronounced dead a half an hour later. His only crime, scoring an own goal at a World Cup. More and more we're seeing money and sport intersect and it's by no means a new thing, but it does feel like it's escalating. Qatar obviously is the big example at the moment, but people are watching other events too. The Winter Olympics this year, for example, were held in Beijing at a time when there are huge human rights questions surrounding the actions of China. The new Live Sport Tournament in golf, which is being bankrolled by the Saudis, which the likes of Rory McIlroy has spoken against. It's a weird time in golf and, and, you know, hopefully over the next couple of years we can resolve it in some sort of way. But, but right now it's, um, you know, look, I'm a golfer. I play golf. I, you know, maybe put myself in the conversation too much at times, but, and, you know, I can't help myself because I feel strongly about it. But, um, it's up to the, you know, it's up to the powers that be to, to try to come to some, some sort of, um, not resolution, I don't think that's the right word, but uh, a strategy going forward so that the game can thrive at, at the highest level. Other examples include the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund buying Newcastle United, the NBA and the NFL building up relations in China and being really careful about what they say as a result. 
And then closer to home, the likes of mob boss Daniel Kinahan trying to sports wash his reputation into that of a, a harmless boxing promoter. Qatar may now be the ultimate test. Everyone's obviously spoke volumes about the human rights concerns in the run-up to the tournament. But as it gets going and the football gets good, will we all just forget? Just like they want us to. Thanks for listening to Let Me Explain. Don't forget to follow the show wherever it is you are listening. It was presented by myself, Sean Defoe, with editor John Kyo and Lachlan Hart on sound. I'll chat to you next week.